When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Kuh. On today's show, we'll cover all of the latest news around baseball, highlight some player performances from the past week, and recommend some pitching and hitter streamers for the week ahead. Also, we'll be joined by Michael Barker to talk about his article, Bryce for Impact, assessing the early career of Bryce Miller. But before we get into all of that, John, how's your week been? Well, I have been really busy with real life, so uh, I guess I haven't really been able to pay too much attention to baseball, which is kind of a good thing because the Twins were kind of terrible uh, this past week. Um, <laughs> they did finally write the ship today, and we'll be talking about that a little, a little bit. But um, yeah, beyond that, uh, just enjoying summer in Minnesota. It's always a, always a good time here when the temps are a little higher than you know what they were back in January. Yeah, the weather's still a little bit weird in New York. It's like cold one day, and then it's like sweltering hot the next day, and then it's raining, and then there's orange in the sky for some reason due to wildfires. So yes. <laughs> over here is a little bit of a mess, and the Mets are also a little bit of a mess. We just can't seem to get our footing, and it's Kind of bad because we're like 13 games out of first in the NL East, and that is not what I penciled in on my bingo card this year when I signed up for the MLB season. But hopefully better signs to come because it's not fun watching my team. But coincidentally enough, it's the most fun I've had watching baseball in a while. The Reds are exciting. The Diamondbacks are exciting. There's a lot of good stuff around baseball right now. Yeah, it's it's, it's just that our teams aren't that great. Yeah, which stinks. <laughs> <laughs> it's just horrible. Yeah, I, think, I think the Twins are back to 500. They might, they might be back. They are back at 500. Let's go. Uh, wow. 38 and 38 and still somehow leading the AL Central. So, That's yeah. so insane. The Mets are Good times. <laughs> six games from 500, I believe. And we're not even close to our division. We are buried in our division. I can't believe we're even ahead of the National. That's how bad it is. Yeah, rough. Yeah, it's been a little bit rough. But hey, can't complain. I'm having a great time this fantasy baseball season. My teams are doing much better recently. So a lot to be happy about. But let's get into today's show. Before we get into the rest of this episode, I'd like to remind all of you that you can follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL, and you can send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we are on all of them, so make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and please leave a five-star review. If you enjoy listening to us, give us a little shout-out in the comment and put a little five-star review for us because we would greatly appreciate it. But let's move on to the MLB news since the last podcast. We start with Tristan McKenzie of the Guardians. He's been diagnosed with a UCL sprain in his right elbow. McKenzie will be shut down from throwing for at least a few weeks before a determination is made regarding his next course of action. He told reporters that he's likely to be out for at least 
four to six weeks, but that timetable could obviously change. So we don't really know how much we're going to get from McKenzie the rest of the season. And it's just brutal because he worked his way back from that terrace major strain, had a good start, and then just once again, he's gone. So pretty rough for McKenzie, but in a corresponding move, Gavin Williams was called up from AAA by the Guardians and made his MLB debut on Wednesday against the Athletics. He pitched 5.2 innings, gave up four earned runs, four hits, three walks, and had four strikeouts. Not the best debut, but he's the number 16 prospect according to MLB Pipeline and one of the most anticipated pitching prospects right behind Grayson Rodriguez going into this season. If he's out there in your league, Pick him up and don't let this start discourage you because he has a lot of upside. We're going to talk a little bit more about him later, but yeah, Gavin Williams was called up, so very cool stuff. Aaron Judge of the Yankees experienced a little bit of a breakthrough after his second PRP injection, according to manager Aaron Boone. The first PRP injection that Judge was given earlier this month didn't knock out all of the swelling in his toe, but the second shot appeared to do the trick. They believe that Judge is starting to turn a corner, but there's still no timetable for his return. Carlos Rodon of the Yankees recorded five strikeouts over three innings of one-run ball on Tuesday in a minor league rehab start for AA Somerset. He threw 42 pitches in that start, and the hope is that he'll only need two more rehab outings before returning to the Yankees' rotation. Rodon will make his next rehab start on Sunday. He's been out for the entirety of the 2023 season, so far with back and forearm injuries. Gio Urshela of the Angels will miss the remainder of the season due to a left pelvis fracture. He won't require surgery, but he won't take the field again in 2023. So heartbreaking for Angels fans because he's been great defensively and been able to plug a lot of holes for them. Bo Bichette of the Blue Jays was scratched from the lineup on Wednesday with left thumb discomfort. Max Muncie of the Dodgers was placed on the 10-day IL, retroactive to June 13th with a left hamstring strain. He ran the bases and fielded grounders on Tuesday, and manager Dave Roberts told reporters that Muncie could return when first eligible, which is on Friday. Emmett Sheehan was called up by the Dodgers last Friday and made his MLB debut against the Giants. He pitched six scoreless innings with three strikeouts. Lots of upside with Sheehan, so hopefully he continues to do well. Cedric Mullins of the Orioles began a minor league rehab assignment on Tuesday and could return as early as this weekend. He's been out since late May due to a right groin strain. Dansby Swanson of the Cubs was hit in the wrist by a pitch on Tuesday. X-rays came back negative, so consider him day-to-day for now. Jazz Chisholm Jr. of the Marlins began a minor league rehab assignment on Tuesday. He should rejoin the Marlins in the near future. Chisholm has been out since mid-May due to turf toe. Edward Cabrera of the Marlins was placed on the 15-day IL with a right shoulder impingement. The team has not announced how severe the injury is or how long that he'll be sidelined for. So you have to wonder if we'll see him at all maybe this season, but we shall wait and see. Jordan Walker of the Cardinals was not in the lineup for Wednesday's game against the Nationals due to an illness. He should be back in the lineup by Saturday for the Cardinals and Cubs London series. That's a series I really want to go to next year, John, because the Mets play in it. So I would love to do that, especially because my wife is from England. So it would be a nice little side trip to do. Have you ever been overseas? Uh, been overseas plenty of times, but not to England. So okay, that would be uh, yeah, that would be pretty fun. Uh, fun opportunity to check that out. Um, I don't even know if the, the last time they had a Major League Baseball game in in England, but um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think they had one where it was Yankees Red Sox. If I'm remembering correctly, I don't 100% remember, but I think it was like Yankees and Red Sox a few years ago where they went which was really cool, and now they have the Cardinals and Cubs, which is coming up now, and then next year is already the Mets and I think the Phillies. So 
very cool. It's going to be really cool to maybe watch my team in person in my wife's home ground. So it would be a little bit of an interesting dynamic, but I would love to do that. It would be really cool. Lance Lynn of the White Sox was placed on the bereavement list on Monday. He's expected to make his next scheduled start on Saturday against the Red Sox. Hunter Green of the Reds was placed on the 15-day IL, retroactive to June 18th, with right hip pain. The hip injury has bothered Green on and off for weeks now, and he aggravated it again during Saturday's start against the Astros. The Reds are hopeful that he'll only be down for a couple of weeks. Joey Votto of the Reds was activated from the 60-day IL on Monday, and we'll talk about his 2023 season debut in just a few moments. Will Myers was DFA'd by the Reds. Stuart Fairchild of the Reds was sent to AAA. And you have to think, John, with Will Myers being DFA'd and Stuart Fairchild being sent down, does it mean that it's CES time? Christian Encarnacion Strand, is he going to get the call up? Uh, I mean, it's, it would seem logical, right? You know, why would... I mean, I'm not saying that Will Myers or, or Fairchild were having great seasons. Myers actually pretty much a big disappointment for me because I was really hoping that he'd do yep. well in, in Cincinnati. But it all the signs point to it. I mean, he's he's raking in AAA. It, it kind of makes too much sense. The Reds, of course, though, are notorious about, you know, holding their guys down in the minors. But at the same time, like, they've brought up plenty of young guys this season. So it kind of makes sense that CES is the next one to come up. Yeah, I mean, the Reds are so exciting right now. They're in the midst of an 11-game winning streak. So you got to think that they keep the good times rolling. I mean, the hype around Ellie De La Cruz when he got called up was just like peak excitement that I've seen in a long time in baseball. And if you throw him in the mix, I mean, you have to think they'd be super motivated to win even more. I think that they're just going to mm -hmm. keep rolling. So they have a lot of pieces that they can do to inject adrenaline into this team. And I think it's time to keep it going. I mean, maybe they call him up after the win streak ends to really get them back on track. You know what I mean? Like to sure. inject that adrenaline in. So mm -hmm. we'll see. I mean, they had to make a series of moves for this to work. Will Myers being DFA'd was the big one. And then they really had to send down Fairchild or Will Benson to really make room for CES because they have a pretty crowded infield and outfield now. So I think right. they can make it work with no problem, but he should probably be called up. Tim Anderson of the White Sox has missed four straight games due to right shoulder soreness. Henry Davis was called up by the Pirates on Monday and made his MLB debut against the Cubs. The 23-year-old Davis hit 284, 433, 541 with 11 home runs and 9 stolen bases over 232 plate appearances in the minors this season. He's a top catching prospect, so he has catcher eligibility on Yahoo and various other sites, but he seems to be playing in right field for his first few games, which is Super confusing because you draft this guy to be a catcher and your catching prospect, and it's not like the Pirates have some all-star catcher behind there. So to play him in right field is a little bit concerning, but yeah, he's got catcher eligibility right now, and he's got a good bat. So if you need a catcher in maybe the deepest of leagues right now, or maybe you just want to take an upside shot on a guy with potential, and maybe you're in a keeper league, then look out for Henry Davis. Brian Reynolds of the Pirates was placed on the 10-day IL on Thursday with lower back inflammation. Andrew McCutcheon of the Pirates has missed three straight games due to some lingering right elbow soreness. He's considered to be day-to-day. -day. Tariq Skubal of the Tigers has made four minor league rehab outings while he continues his return from flexor tendon surgery. In his last rehab start, which was supposed to be his second-to-last one, he only pitched 2.2 innings while apparently experiencing blister issues. So hopefully it's nothing that will derail his return any further, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Hopefully Skubal will be back within the next few weeks. 
Lamont Wade Jr. of the Giants was scratched from the Giants lineup on Tuesday due to right side tightness. He was sent for an MRI on Wednesday, and the results of it were encouraging enough where he won't require a stint on the injured list. He's missed three straight games, however. Alex Cobb of the Giants was placed on the 15-day IL, retroactive to June 15th with a left oblique strain. Samad Taylor was called up by the Royals last Friday. He's a huge speed guy. He had 34 stolen bases before being called up in the minors, so pretty interesting stuff there if you're lacking in speed in your roto leagues. Look out for Samad Taylor. Maybe get some bids in on him. Sean Murphy of the Braves has missed three straight games due to his mild right hamstring issue. He pinch hit in Thursday's game, so he should be back to action soon. Kenta Maeda of the Twins will be activated from the 15-day IL on Friday and start against the Tigers. And then, of course, with Maeda returning, Louis Varland of the Twins was optioned to AAA St. Paul on Tuesday after three pretty rough starts and the return of the aforementioned Maeda. And last but not least, an interesting one here. Wander Franco of the Rays will miss two games for not being the best teammate, according to manager Kevin Cash. So I'm not really sure what that entails and what he did. Apparently, he's frustrated with some things. So I don't know if he's frustrated with the team and taking it out on them or frustrated in himself and taking it out on them. No clue what's happening there, but looks like some trouble in paradise in Tampa there. So not sure about that, but Wander Franco will miss Thursday and Friday's games for not being the best teammate. We are recording this on Thursday, so he'll probably be back in the lineup on Saturday when you're listening to this, but I had to mention it. Just very odd. John, any notes about this list? Uh, Yeah, funny thing about Henry. So Henry Davis, the interesting thing there, um, obviously, you know, number one pick back a couple years ago. Um, but it was reading up, like, you know, why is he starting at catcher? And apparently Pittsburgh just really likes what Austin Hedges and Andy Rodriguez are doing uh, behind the backstop there. And they have an opening in their outfield, and and Davis has has played some outfield in 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 the minors. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it, it is a kind of an interesting situation there. I mean, it's nice that he has catcher eligibility, um, and uh, it's it is weird that that uh, that Pittsburgh likes Hedges that much. Um, but you know what? It saves his legs a little bit, I guess. And um, it, as long as they're cool with his bat. I see no reason to pick him up in, in fantasy baseball if you if you need someone in that catcher position. Yeah, it's both good and bad that Davis is not catching. The good, obviously, because his legs won't be taxed. His bat will be in the lineup every day. He'll be playing outfield. He'll have outfield eligibility and catcher eligibility this season. So there's a lot to like about him not catching. But the bad thing is, is primarily in fantasy, we want him to have catcher eligibility. And if he doesn't have it after this season, then you're comparing him with a slew of other outfielders and right. that's where his value kind of gets into a gray area right yeah i honestly would not be surprised though if the the long-term plan is you know one of hedges or rodriguez you know isn't on the team next year and davis is the starting starting catcher for the pirates um come opening day 2024 that would make a lot of sense and hopefully that is what's happening because i find it so strange that some people are drafted as catchers and that's where a lot of their value lies for their ball club and then they just don't catch when they get called up and I find that so strange I mean Bryce Harper was a catcher right Josh Donaldson was a catcher Mm -hmm. like there's been some interesting catcher guys that automatically went to different positions so pretty weird to not see them play catcher after being drafted as a catcher but we are going to take a quick break and when we come back we will talk about the weekly performance recap stay tuned 
Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, we are back and it's time for the weekly performance recap. Just a reminder to everyone, we get most of our hitter and pitcher highlights from the daily articles on the Pitcher List website. The hitter recap and SP roundup articles are incredible resources to read to see how players performed each day. So make sure that when you wake up, you go on PitcherList.com, you check through those articles, get caught up, and be a better fantasy player. But getting into the weekend, John, who performed well this time? Uh, yeah, we're going to start with Christopher Morrell of the Cubs. Uh, three for five with a double a homer, two runs, and three RBI last Friday. Uh, he was on the bench for a little bit on the in the early part of June, but he has come back with a bit of a vengeance, uh, being inserted back into the starting squad in Chicago. He hit his 12th homer of the year on Friday and now impressively is third in the majors in slugging percentage uh, with a 634 percentage there. So really solid numbers. Mind you, he's only played in 34 games, so... Honestly, that kind of makes it more impressive that he has such a high slugging percentage in 34 games. Granted, you know, when you hit 12 homers, you know, that basically means you have a, a homer every three games, so it's going to elevate that percentage. Um, he provides pretty good multi-positional help as well. He's got second base, third base, shortstop, and outfield eligibility on Yahoo. Um, and yeah, we'll see if this sticks. Obviously, Morel's kind of one of those super streaky players. Last year, he kind of went on a similar tear for a bit and was kind of one of the hotter pickups in the league. Uh, but he is still young. He's still kind of learning the game a little bit uh, and, and getting his feet under him. So um, it's good to see that his power is is real. Uh, but whether that can be consistent is probably just going to be another question. Brandon Drury of the Angels on Saturday went two for five with two homers, two runs, and three RBI. He followed up a two RBI night on Friday with one better on Saturday. If you recall, we did an interview um, about Drury a few months ago. And at the time, the worry was kind of an elevated strikeout rate, um, a higher whiff rate, and lower exit velocity. Well, now in June, the whiff rate and the strikeout rate still aren't pretty. They're, they're definitely both higher than last year's numbers. But he's back to the same hard contact percentage he had last year, uh, basically just hitting the ball as hard as he was despite those lowered EVs. Um, and that's good. That's been good for 12 homers on the season and the 490 slugging percentage. And then finally, rounding out the weekend, Michael Harris, the second of Atlanta, went five for five with a double, a home run, three runs, and three RBI. We mentioned Harris last week as he had a great four for four performance on the front end of a doubleheader. Well, had another great performance on Sunday, going perfect on the plate, and just was a triple shy for a cycle. In the month of June, Harris has slashed 375, 388, and 625 with four homers, 12 RBI, in 67 plate appearances. These numbers are clearly a lot better than his season averages. Um, those are still very much uh, poor numbers, 
Uh, so hopefully this hot summer continues for Harris managers, and you'd be glad that you picked him up when someone probably dropped him in your league. So for Morrell, he was blistering hot when he got called up. I mean, he was like the best player in fantasy for that week that he got called up. And then he kind of tailed off hard where everyone was like, okay, I'm done with this guy. Like he went over mm-hmm. four a lot, struck out a ton. So yep. everyone was very weary of that because he is someone that strikes out a lot. And we kind of saw that in his profile before he got called up. But when he does hit the ball, as you said, third in the majors in slugging percentage, he really does damage. So I think he's going to be very hot and cold this whole season. He might be maddening in head-to-head leagues, but mm-hmm. at the end of the season, he's going to put up those numbers, and he's probably worth rostering since he has all of those eligibilities. Brandon Drury, I just remember him being such a good value this season. No one really believed what he did last season, and rightfully so. I mean, it's Brandon Drury, but he made some good changes. He still has some problems, like you said, with the strikeout rate. Just not good, but... He does good things at the plate, and he's starting to heat up a little bit. I remember, I think I got him in, like, the 18th round of the TGFBI draft. Like, he was going stupid late, and Mm -hmm. I think that was kind of bad on our parts as a fantasy industry. Sure, rightfully so, we were giving Drury a little bit of a pass for last season and kind of saying, hey, you've never been this good. We're not going to draft you at that rate, but I think he needs to be a little bit more respected now, at least. And then Michael Harris, man, so good. I mean... As we mentioned last time, I think it just had to do with health. Now that he's healthy in a groove, he's rolling. He looks like the guy that you originally drafted. Yeah, I think Harris, for me, um, you know, it's kind of your classic sophomore slump sort of situation here, too. Uh, And and then, yeah, injuries definitely do not help. So I think for him, he's he's one of those guys where it was probably easier to give up patience because, you know, hey, you know, he's – He's not uh, performing to the level that we we're expecting as like a, let's just say like a round three outfielder. You yeah, know? that's about right. Like a lot of guys were kind of saying, oh, Harris is kind of the second coming of Cedric Mullins. He's just, he's going to be better. And then of course that first two, first two months were just absolute duds. And it's easy to get frustrated with guys like that because not only did you uh, draft them high, that means you gave up on a lot of other, you know, outfielders in a class that, you know, we said repeatedly, it was pretty, pretty shallow. Yep. Um, you know, you, you, you potentially passed on, you know, Randy Rosarena, who's having a great year. Um, Adolis Garcia, for sure. Uh, Michael Harris was going before him. Um, and all those guys are just doing better than Harris. And you're like, wow, oh, man, what the heck's happening? So um, good for him that he's finally yeah, turning up again and, and showing that true potential. Yeah, Harris was, I think, going ahead of Cedric Mullins because people thought yeah, he'd have he more was. potential. Yeah, and he was going mm-hmm. ahead of all those names you, you mentioned, Randy and Adolis. And there's been so many guys that you could have taken that have been doing way better than Michael Harris this season. But it's good to see that there's life in him now. And even though he's in a sophomore slump, he's making the proper adjustments and hitting the ball great now. So it's really yeah. good to see and really promising for fantasy managers. Right. Well, moving on to pitchers, we're going to start with Patrick Sandoval of the Angels. He went up against Kansas City on Friday, got the win, pitched seven innings with no earned runs, four hits, four walks, and six strikeouts. Uh, I'm honestly kind of annoyed at myself because I picked up Sandoval to start in TGFBI because of this matchup, uh, but then I forgot to put him in my lineup, but then TGFBI is a weekly league, and yada, 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 and so I was just sitting on the sidelines watching this uh, beautiful start uh, not happen for my team, which kind of sucked. Um, He got the shutout here, but he probably didn't show the dominating form we were hoping for from him. The slider was pretty great, but the signature changeup wasn't there. And remind you, that's like kind of his calling card is that changeup. 
And so it's somewhat unfortunate that Sandoval isn't really worth keeping on your rosters this season. He's very much like a matchup dependent guy. Um, he just hasn't been consistent at all this year. And so even with this you know, seven innings shutout performance against Kansas City, it's hard to trust him against really any other quality major league team. On Saturday, Blake Snell of the Padres uh, went up against Tampa Bay, got the win with six innings, zero earned runs, two hits, three walks, and 12 strikeouts. We talked about Snell last week, and we kind of disagreed with each other on how real that performance was. I was a little bit more hesitant. Lee, I think you were kind of more in on Snell. Yep. Well, he did it again against a much better team in the Rays. So now I'm kind of thinking this might be a real thing, and we'll talk a little <laughs> bit about his start today on Thursday as well. Uh, the curve and the changeup were both deadly, and when he has those breaking balls going, uh, it's it's good news for Snell. The fastball was pretty solid as well. So I guess the, the legend of second-half Snell is back and ready to go. And then finally, Lance Lynn, how could we not talk about this performance? Uh, went up against Seattle, uh, hilariously got the loss here, but went seven innings with three earned runs, four hits, two walks, and 16 strikeouts. Uh, probably what's more impressive, too, is that they let him go for 114 pitches here, which is kind of nuts in seven innings. Um, we just can't stop talking about Lance Lynn this season, uh, whether it's for good or for bad. Uh, yeah, 16 strikeouts. Are you kidding me? Uh, of course, he did this in a loss, just classic, because the White Sox aren't that great. Uh, and it was a poor quality start, seven innings, three and run. So it's kind of like the best of both worlds, or maybe the best and worst of, of both worlds here. The irony here, I guess, was that the cutter and the sinker were his money pitches. Um, obviously, with Lance Lynn, his his you know claim to fame is that he throws a bunch of fastballs, but his four-seamer is kind of the best one and the one he uses the most. He opted to bring the usage of that one down a bit more uh, and, in turn, increase the cutter and sinker usage. And both those were really solid pitches for him. The changeup and the slider both um, also earned 11 whiffs combined on their own, so even the secondary stuff was pretty solid as well. I don't know if he's truly back, though. The schedule does not get any better for Lance Lynn, so I'd say start at your own risk. I'll start with Lance Lynn because, I mean, why not? We've been talking about him all season, like you said. I don't fully believe in the he's back now narrative. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, go out and get, grab Lance Lynn now that he had 16 strikeouts. I mean, this performance is exceptional, but he still gave up three earned runs. Seattle strikes out more than anybody in the majors right now. So yeah. 16 strikeouts, sure. Lance Lynn's a good pitcher. He's going to have good outings sometimes. But you're forgetting that this is just one start. And look what he's done every other time he's taken the mound for your team. So mm -hmm. I just can't get behind that this is a turning the corner moment for Lance Lynn more than this is an incredible performance from a good pitcher against a very poor offense in terms of strikeouts. So... Yeah, I don't really fully believe it. I still wouldn't trust him. I still wouldn't start him. I still don't want to roster him. He can come around, sure, and I'll believe it when I see it. You know, obviously, I believe in Lance Lynn. I have all season, and I want him to do good, but I just don't believe it still until I see this three more times. <laughs> then I'll buy back in, but it'll be too late by then, of course, but I'm okay with that because I don't want any part of this horrible-looking roller coaster. In terms of good-looking <laughs> roller coasters, Blake Snell... He's on the going up streak. I mean, he yeah. is the good part of the roller coaster, not the bad part, which is the drop. He is the going up part. And Blake Snell has looked phenomenal. Like you said, we'll talk more about his performance on Thursday as well. But yeah, I am all in on Blake Snell. He looks like he's executing the Blake Snell blueprint to a T. And I think that this is actually real. And second half Snell is back. And then Patrick Sandoval, pat on the back for us because 
we suggested this. This is something that we suggested in our streamers, and he was great. So good on you, John. Way to go. Yeah, I just wish I could have gotten those stats. <laughs> yeah, you took your own advice, but you just dropped the bag. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it happens. But moving on to Monday, June 19th, from the Daily Hitting Recap article by Gabe Gorelnik, we start with Joey Votto of the Reds, who went 2-for-3 with a homer, a run, 3 RBI, and a walk. What a return for the 39-year-old veteran, and what a time to return. I'm honestly super happy for Votto because he seems like such a good dude that just wants to have fun and win games, and the Reds have never been more exciting than they are right now. In the midst of an 11-game win streak, Votto had a great performance to show that, hey, I'm back, and I'll help in Monday's victory. For fantasy purposes, Votto probably isn't much of a contributor. He'll have his moments, and he's been fantasy-relevant as close back as 2021, but I wouldn't rush to pick him up. However, he did have three of the hardest-hit balls on Monday with a 102-mile-per-hour exit velocity homer, 104.4-mile-per-hour exit velocity lineout, and a 108.7-mile-per-hour exit velocity single. So, who knows? Maybe he'll make it onto some teams in fantasy, probably deeper leagues, NL-only leagues. In those 8, 10, 12-team leagues, probably not. There's a lot of good first-base options out there. But hey, if Joey Votto goes on one of those classic hot streaks, pick him up, ride him out, why not? Then we have Josh Young of the Diamondbacks, who went 3-for-5 with a homer, two runs, and an RBI. One of the frontrunners for AL Rookie of the Year refuses to slow down. For the season, Young has a 275, 329, 493 slash line with 15 home runs, 51 runs, 44 RBI, and one stolen base. Every single plate appearance resulted in a hard-hit ball for him on Monday. Young is 86th percentile in hard-hit percentage and 80th percentile in average exit velocity. With a strong Rangers lineup around him, Young is breaking out before our eyes, and it's pretty awesome to see the third base pool get a little bit deeper in fantasy with the addition of him in it. He was always promising. He had a really bad strikeout rate last season, and we weren't too sure on him, but he looks like the real deal right now. And then lastly, shout out to Luis Arias of the Marlins, who went 5-for-5 five five in this game. It's his third five-hit game of the season, which put his batting average at 400 for the season again. I saw a post from Talking Baseball on Twitter. And John, did you know this, that Luis Arise now leads MLB with 102 hits. I'm not sure when this was made, so he might have more hits now, so don't hold mm -hmm. me to that. But Yeah, I know what tweet you're about to say. Okay. <laughs> Luis Arise now leads MLB with 102 hits. The Twins, the team that traded him last offseason, are the yeah. only team that doesn't have a player with 60 hits. Carlos Correa leads the team with 51. Yeah. Ugh. That's I wild. Mean, I, here, here's what I'll say. I, I still stand by... The Luis Arise, Pablo Lopez trade. I do too, um, for what it's worth. I think only for the fact that, like, if you added a 400 hitter to the Twins right now, I don't know if it truly makes them that much better. Right. Because the entire team is just kind of in a slump. Like, sure, you get a guy in base, but if you can't bat him in, does it really help? Um, meanwhile, Pablo Lopez, I think, he's had his up and downs, but he's he's been a really, really solid pitcher. Um and I mean, I love Arise. He's he's one of my favorite players. I'm obviously the Marlins as a team are doing really really well. Um, so uh, you know, for him to, for him to be doing this after you know, I think a lot of there are a lot of doubters where you know they're like, oh, the Twins are just kind of cheating the system, and you know, it's just sitting Arise so that he has the platoon advantage, so that he can finish with the, the AL batting champ. Well, I mean, he he's the real deal, and um, I think that's that's super exciting. Yeah, it really is, and I still, like I said, stand by that Pablo Lopez trade as well. I think, if anything, the Twins needed help pitching more than anything. 
Yeah. And that trade still looks good for both teams. That's a win-win for everybody, but it is crazy to see that Arise has 40 more hits or 50 more hits than the leader of the Twins at the moment, which is Correa. Yeah, it's it's not pretty. <laughs> no. Moving on to pitchers from Monday with the SP Roundup article by Doe Adir from Nick Pollock. We start with Merrill Kelly of the Diamondbacks, who went seven innings pitched, one earned run, three hits, one walk, and seven strikeouts against the Brewers. How about Merrill Kelly, huh? I remember seeing him on the WBC team and being like, man, this is our ace for America? But, man, <laughs> he's proving to be a bit of an ace this season with a phenomenal year so far. Kelly has a 2.90 ERA, a 1.07 whip, nine wins, and 96 strikeouts and 90 innings pitched. PLV absolutely loves his changeup, which is a pitch that he throws 24% of the time. With the combination of his fastball and changeup playing well off of each other, and the immaculate Diamondbacks defense, I mean, that outfield catches everything. They're all so fast and so good defensively. You have yourself an incredible season, and Merrill Kelly is truly breaking out this year. And if you have him, you have to be thrilled because he is giving you more than you could ask for. He had a 33% CSW in this one. Sure, it's against the Brewers who have been struggling in their own right, but... What an impressive performance. Only 88 pitches for seven innings as well. Just awesome to see. Merrill Kelly's been amazing this season. And then we have Reese Olsen of the Tigers, who went six innings pitched, three earned runs, six hits, one walk, and eight strikeouts against the Royals. Trumping Kelly's 33% CSW, Olsen had a 35% CSW against the Royals, which gave him a King Cole for the day. Olsen has been all right so far since being called up, but this was his first quality start and highest amount of strikeouts with eight. Sure, it was against the Royals, but Olsen has some pretty good stuff according to Stuff Plus metrics from Eno Saris. He's hard to roster for fantasy because, one, he's on the Tigers, so you won't get many wins, and two, we're not really sure how deep he'll be able to go into games for quality starts, but he definitely makes for a good streamer against bad teams, so if Reese Olsen is out there and a good matchup pops up, think about streaming him because he's pretty good. Man, Merrill Kelly for me is one of those interesting conundrums because uh, everything seems like like is this real right like i like like what you said right like is this real it doesn't feel real yeah uh but yeah those though you can't disagree with those numbers it's it's those are really solid things and uh, the the advanced metrics seem to agree with it as well the defense behind him is phenomenal so like you know pat on the back if you drafted merrill kelly because um you know he's kind of he was kind of like a throwaway pitcher almost like draft season like obviously you're going to pick him up because he was you knew he was going to start but at the same time, you know, I think other guys on his team were definitely a lot hotter. I mean, even guys who weren't in the rotation. I think Brandon Fott was getting a lot of run. Ryan Nelson was getting a lot of run. Dre Jamison was getting a lot of run. And then you ask someone about Merrill Kelly, he's like, oh, he's all right, you know? Yep. And um, he's clearly the ace of that staff now. Yeah, what's really crazy, too, is Merrill Kelly was kind of in a clump of pitchers at the start of the season where it was like Miles Michaelis. Adam Wainwright, Martin Perez, Merrill Kelly, like you draft these guys to be good ERA and whip mitigators, but you don't expect really much out of them. You expect like a low four or high three ERA that just kind of gets you by, gets you quality starts, gets you some wins, but he's really separated himself from that. I mean, he truly is probably the ace of your staff right now (laughs) if you roster him. So pretty ridiculous to see, but hey, it works when you have an excellent defense behind you. And your pitches look great. They're tunneling off of each other perfectly. The changeup is going well. The fastball is going well. Like, he's pitching. And that's really good to see when someone is a good pitcher. Yeah, impressive stuff there. Uh, moving on to Tuesday then. Uh, thanks to Mark Stubiger for the Daily Hitting Recap article. 
We're going to start with Nolan Jones of the Rockies. He went 4-4 four four with two doubles, a homer, two runs, two RBIs, a walk, and a stolen base. Uh, you're a brave soul if you have Nolan Jones on your fantasy team. Uh, but if you do, probably you've enjoyed this month-long stretch where he's slashed 349, 429, and 616. Uh, counting stats aren't as electric. Five homers and five stolen bases. Um, it isn't a complete fluke, as he does have that 11.2% walk rate, which explains that little bit elevated OBP. But the other thing, too, is that he has a 510 BABIP, uh, which um, is pretty much unsustainable for the rest of the season, so expect that to come down. And he also strikes out one out of every three times, pretty much. So um, it's been a really fun hot streak for Jones, and obviously playing in cores has its advantages um, as a hitter. Uh, but, um, yeah, I regression is going to happen here with Jones. And uh, if you have him, uh, sell high if you can and take advantage of those high ratios. Wilson Contreras of the Cardinals uh, on Tuesday went 3 for 4 with two doubles as well, had a run into RBI. The Cardinals have been a mess this season, and Contreras is no exception to the rule. He's barely hitting above the Mendoza line, and he's well below his career averages in both OVP and slugging. There's not a lot to diagnose here. A lot of the advanced metrics seem to indicate that he's about the same as previous years. Um, the only thing I could really notice was the 243 BABIP, which is well below his career average. Um, I mean, BABIP is one of those things that, you know, it's easy to point out, but it's hard to diagnose if that's something that will change. You know, the Cardinals have had some really weird decisions in hitting this season. Uh, Nolan Arenado is one of those guys who, you know, was kind of trying to be an all-fields guy and instead of being a pull hitter like he's he's normally is. Um, but yeah, assuming that the Cardinals figure something out with how they're coaching their hitters and that his BABIP progresses to a career average, we might be able to see a little bit of an uptick in Contreras' numbers as the season progresses. So I really only have a comment about Nolan Jones, and I think he's been excellent. Obviously, the numbers will show you that he's been really good. He looks promising. He's a top prospect as well. Really baffling trade that the Guardians traded him away when they need offense help more than anything. So kind of confused by that. But I agree that if you can sell high, I mean, in a dynasty league, I think I'd hold because sure. yeah. he looks good. And if he's going to play in Colorado and be an everyday player there, I mean, he could have some pretty great seasons in that park. So yeah. I would hold in like a keeper dynasty format, but for a redraft league, if there's an option to flip him for a more stable asset, I definitely would pull the trigger on that. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where you can always psycho through first baseman in Colorado. Yep. yep. Uh, so as good as he is right now, he might not be there next year. But that being said, you know, I think I think sometimes you just have to take advantage of how good your guys are playing, and um, and uh, let it work out for uh and just see who who wants them i agree you can trade them. yep uh moving on to pitchers then thanks to the glass elevator from nick pollock uh, the sp roundup article we're going to start with marcus stroman of the cubs uh going to cups against the pirates with the win seven innings zero earned runs five hits one walk and five strikeouts uh fun story here we have the pitcherless staff all-star voting going on right now um among the staff and I may have put a certain cup pitcher as my NL starter. Wow. Now, before you go and take away my credentials as a fantasy analyst, and let's be honest, I don't know if I've ever had them, uh, <laughs> Stroman is tied for the National League in wins, and he has the lowest ERA and whip among qualified National League pitchers. Now, obviously, I think there's probably better arguments for guys like Zach Gallen and Spencer Strider as like being more electric dudes and just more fun to see, you know, pitch. Let's be honest, Stroman's kind of a boring pitcher. Um, 
the stats kind of speak for themselves on how good he has been this season. I don't really know if this is sustainable or if he completely implodes in the second half of the season, but in my opinion, you have to give the man his flowers. Uh, another National League electric pitcher, Yuri Perez of the Marlins. He went up against Toronto, got the no decision. Six innings with zero earned runs, three hits, no walks, and nine strikeouts. Some good command on the fastball and the slider here helped Yuri to a dominating performance against the always dangerous Blue Jays. The changeup and curveball were also a great supporting cast, combining for nine whiffs and two called strikes on 18 pitches, uh, which is an over 50% CSW combined for those two secondaries. I hate that he's unlikely to finish out the season just because, you know, he did kind of come up immediately from double-A ball, I believe. Um, he's, you know, never been fully stretched out. He's only 20 years old anyways. Um, and the main reason he's up here is because there was injuries to other guys. So assuming those guys get healthy, Marlins might Marlin and just send him back down to AAA or shut him down for the season. Uh, but wow, what an audition for next year. Yuri Perez is going to be a real hot commodity in 2024 drafts. Um, and... You know, one of those big reasons is the fact that through nine starts, he has a 1.54 ERA, uh, which is pretty incredible for a guy who is that young and just getting his first taste of major league hitter. Yeah, I mean, first of all, with Marcus Stroman, he's a very good pitcher. And I've admired and respected the fact that, you know, he's a smaller dude and he doesn't let that get to him. And he goes to the mound. And he's this big presence and he struts off the mound, strikes people out keeps the whiffs in check, keeps the ERA and whip down. Like everything Strowman does is fantastic. Obviously there's some off the field stuff and Twitter stuff that make me question him as a person, but as a baseball player, he is fantastic. And I don't blame you for putting him as your NL starter for the all-star team. And Hey, I used to compete against him as a kid. So can I make your all-star team? Is that possible? Like, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> but what was your ERA this year? <laughs> Ooh, uh, this year is actually zero. So oh, wow. yeah, it's pretty good. I'm not gonna tell you how many starts I've had, but uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's low. It's pretty good. But yeah, Stroman has been awesome this season and he's fully deserving of not only an all-star team, but starting the all-star game. So yeah, I don't blame you one bit for putting him there because Stroman has been nothing but great this entire season. And then Yuri Perez, man, if I knew that he was going to pitch for the rest of the season, I would put him so high up in rankings that it's not even funny. He is going to be a scary asset in drafts in 2024 because yeah. he is so good. He's so good already, and that's scary. So he's got a promising career ahead of him, and hopefully he doesn't cost us a sixth-round pick next year, even though he's a rookie. I mean, it's going to be a very scary process trying to draft him next year. I mean, he, there's, there's shades of, uh, you know, kind of a, this whole idea where he's going to be the ace of that staff because um, Sandy has not looked very good this year. Yep. I, I think, though, in my opinion, Sandy's a, just, you know, a tweak away from being an elite pitcher again. So right. I'm not saying that Sandy's washed or anything. I'm Agreed. just like, like that, that roster is going to be disgusting with, with Sandy, with Yuri Perez, Edward Cabrera's kind of figuring out a few things this yep. season. Like, yeah, that entire roster, that entire rotation is going to be really, really solid. And it looks like they're actually kind of developing hitters behind them. You know, granted, I don't know how much I believe in this Jorge Soler breakout, but guys who can hit and actually get Miami wins, like they're not as big of a pushover as they were before. And um, that can only help, you know, fantasy, uh, fantasy stats for these pitchers as well. Yeah, for sure. And we're going to be talking 
a little bit about some more rookie pitchers next and in our interview, and we might bring up Yuri Perez again, so stay tuned for that one because we might be comparing him to a certain somebody. But moving on to Wednesday, June 21st, from the Daily Hitting Recap article by Jim Chatterton, we start with Justin Turner of the Red Sox. He was 2-for-4 with a homer, 2 runs, 2 RBI, a walk, and a stolen base. Turner has quietly been a beast this season. His slash line is currently 284, 364, 465, and over his past 11 games, he's had 8 multi-hit games with 4 home runs and 2 steals. At 38 years old, he's putting up a 126 WRC+, and doesn't seem to be slowing down at all. Turner has 11 home runs, 45 runs, 40 RBI, and 4 stolen bases so far, and if for some reason he's available in your league, scoop him up. He's got first base and third base eligibility on Yahoo and is hitting second or third for a pretty good Red Sox offense. So maybe if you're in need of a first base or third base option, you can acquire Turner for cheap in a trade playing that old age card. Oh yeah, he's done. Yeah, it's a little bit of a hot streak. He's in a cool off. Try to get him as cheap as possible. Next, we have Ezekiel Duran of the Rangers who went two for four with a homer, a run, two RBI and a stolen base. Another player that has quietly been a beast is Ezekiel Duran. He's got second base, third base, shortstop, and outfield eligibility on Yahoo, and is only 63% rostered. He's been batting 7th in the Red Hot Rangers offense, and has put up a slash line of 310, 355, 524. His stat cast numbers suggest that it's all legit as well, with a page that's more red than a Texas barbecue sauce. The key for Duran's success is that he's stopped hitting the ball on the ground. He's under a 40% ground ball rate and has a 45.7% hard hit rate that's putting the ball into the air. If Duran is available in your league, grab him now. Trust me. And then shout out to Randy Rosarena of the Rays, who went 3-for-3 three three with a double, a homer, a run, two RBI, and a walk. He's been so good all year, and he's made legitimate improvements to his game. A Rosarena has increased his walk rate and has cut down on his swings out of the zone from 33.4% to 26.3%, which is a significant change. It's really awesome to see a guy as polarizing as a Rosarena get even better. And you can't see it right now on the podcast while you're listening, but I'm doing the Randy pose in person. <laughs> I mean, he's going to keep doing that this season, too. I mean, he's been... He, he's been so much fun. I mean, that whole team has been so much fun to to watch. Obviously, we talked about Wander Franco being uh, benched for two games, but um, Randy's been a character himself as well. And it's um, I, I keep thinking of the game where he faced off against Yohan Duran, and um, it was a walk-off homer from Rosarena. And it was just kind of a just classic best-on-best best sort of thing. You know, Duran was like, I you know, I threw the best pitch I could, but... He was a better hitter, and he hit the walk-off homer, and he's been so good this season. Yep. Um, and it's it's really impressive to see that he's maintaining um, this type of uh, performance that we usually associate with him uh, as a uh, playoff performer. Uh, but he's doing it in the regular season as well now. Yeah, he was always giving some good numbers in the regular season with 2020 seasons, but he's on pace for a lot of home runs this year, maybe a little bit less stolen bases, but I think he'll pick those back up at the end of the year. But yeah, Rosarena is really performing and it's great to see that people who drafted him in the fourth, fifth rounds are really getting a payoff because Rosarena has been phenomenal. Moving on to pitchers from Wednesday from the SP Roundup article Christmas by Nick Pollock. Outside of Otani and Gallen, Aces only pitched decently on Wednesday. Luis Castillo, Kevin Gosman, Yu Darvish, Sandy Alcantara were all not too impressive, and Christian Javier was downright awful. However, this day goes to the rookie pitchers. 
Taj Bradley of the Rays went six innings pitched, one earned run, three hits, no walks, and eight strikeouts against the Orioles. I know we talked about Bradley in the last podcast, but this start from him deserved to be talked about. It's the first time in his career that Bradley made it through six innings, earning his very first quality start. The key, no walks. Who would have thought? He threw 83 pitches in this one, and all of his pitches were working beautifully. The changeup went 9 for 13 on strikes. The curveball finally started to work again, returning a 74% strike rate, and his fastball and cutter were great as usual. This is the reason why I rank Bradley so high amongst the rookie pitchers this season. Because he has this sort of potential, we just have to hope that the Rays don't hold him back too much. Then we have Andrew Abbott of the Reds, who went six innings pitched, three earned runs, four hits, no walks, and 10 strikeouts against the Rockies. Another rookie pitcher, another quality start. This was technically the worst start in Abbott's very young career, since he gave up three earned runs instead of his usual zero earned runs like the previous three starts. However, this start showed us more potential than we saw before. 17 whiffs and a 34% CSW is amazing, as we finally saw the strikeout numbers that he was posting in the minors with 10 in this one. However, this start came against the Rockies on the road, and some of the pitch locations that he had were... Suspect to say the least. A lot of middle-middle breakers in this one that the Rockies just didn't do too much with. Hopefully this isn't just a mirage and a great performance against a bad team, as we were already expecting regression with Abbott. But he gets the Orioles, Nationals, and Brewers next. So cross your fingers and enjoy the ride. And lastly, as I mentioned in the news and notes, Gavin Williams made his debut for the Guardians against the Athletics. It wasn't extremely impressive. But I think his upside is tremendous, and he has a legitimate shot to stay in the rotation and pitch the rest of the season with no limit, with Tristan McKenzie and Cal Quantrill currently out. We'll talk about Taj Bradley a little bit later in this pod, but um, yeah, man, it's it's good to see him get that quality start, um, mostly because the Rays are limiting his pitch count, which is like the most annoying thing. Um, <laughs> like, he clearly could... Um, he clearly can get the six. Although, I mean, we've we talked about it. Like, he kind of gets in his own way sometimes. You know, maybe gives up too many hits, a, little, a few too many walks, um, and ends up, you know, hitting 80-ish pitches by the fifth inning. And, you know, for the Rays, like, for them, that's like, that's enough. We don't want you to pitch anymore. So they take him up before you can get the quality start. Um, so, uh, yeah, the the no walks thing in this one is huge. And I think um, if he could continue working on that, I mean, we're not saying he's going to all of a sudden not issue any more walks, but right. be, be able to control that command a little bit better. Um, yeah, I think Bradley becomes one of those guys that you can definitely rely in day in and day out, um, not just in a wins league, but also quality start leagues. Yeah, that's all you really want to see is him go a little bit further and be more efficient with his pitches because if he can start getting quality starts, he's got the stuff to be a legitimate good pitcher. Yeah. Uh, moving on to Thursday's games, then um, we're recording this on Thursday, so there's still a couple games in progress. So we might highlight a few uh, performances that are happening but haven't completely finished yet. Uh, but I am going to start with my boy Byron Buxton of the Twins. Went two for four with two homers and two RBI. It's been an up and down season for Buxton as he's dealt with both hot and cold streaks while playing as the full time DH for the Twins. He's dealt with some injuries here and there, uh, but overall he's been pretty decent. Uh, he did break an over 24 slump with a homer back on Tuesday. It is now currently five for nine with three homers and a double since that day. So just, uh, you know, being hot now, uh, both his homers today were solo shots that traveled over 460 feet, becoming the first player in the stack cast era to hit multiple homers of 460 feet. The last player to do it, um, was Mike Napoli in 2013, which is prior to the stack cast era. So 
not saying that that doesn't count. It definitely still counts, but it's kind of impressive that no one's done this since, you know, basically 10 years ago. Um, Buxton's numbers on the season are fairly pedestrian. He only has 11 homers and six steals with essentially nothing to show in the races department. Also has an incredibly high strikeout number, but that might be more because of how the Twins are approaching pitching as opposed to uh, his own ability. Still, I don't think you're really dropping Buxton even in a 10-team league. Uh, he's still too valuable in terms of the counting stats, um, even if the other things that come with it aren't that great. And then Manny Machado of the Padres went 2-4 for four with a homer and 3 RBI today. All of his RBI came off a three-run shot off Alex Wood in the third inning as the Padres obliterated the Giants 10 to nothing. It came off the bat at 108 miles an hour and traveled 443 feet. So a pretty big monster homer from Machado there. He's had a pretty down year by his standards. He's currently batting at the lowest average of his career, second lowest OBP, and lowest slugging percentage of his career as well. So you know, definitely not what you love from a guy who was you know, kind of an end-of-the-first-round pick you know, supposed to be one of the top three third basemen. And of course, he just, you know, ends up in a slump. Of course, all the Padres are kind of in a slump right now. So there is that. Uh, you have to imagine, though, it, he fixes that somehow. It is only June. There's still plenty of baseball left. Plenty of time for him to figure out what's wrong. Yeah, both of these guys have had a little bit of a struggling go to this season because Machado started off horribly, and he's really picked it up as of late, though, so it's good to see. I think he needed that time on the IL to really clear his mind and heal up, obviously, the hand, but yeah, I think he needed a little bit of a break because he's been going at it forever, nonstop, never gets a break, and he was just struggling, so it's good to see him back on track a little bit and get back into the home run column, at least, because he was not hitting many before this performance. And then Byron Buxton, yeah, he's been struggling a little bit with those overall numbers, 11 homers and six steals. You would expect more from Buxton, knowing that he's been primarily healthy the whole season. And this is a great showing. I mean, two homers, you take it. It stinks that they were both solo shots, but you take them regardless. And hopefully Buxton turns the corner here soon because your twins need it and fantasy managers need it alike. Yeah. Uh, well, if we're pitching, uh, we're going to talk about Joe Ryan. Uh, he pitched for the Twins against Boston today with a win. Nine innings, three hits, no earned runs, and nine strikeouts for the complete game shutout. The last time a Twins pitcher pitched a full game, so nine innings, not even a complete game shutout, just a complete game, was 2018 <laughs> by Jose Barrios. So it's been six years wow. since the Twins had a pitcher you know, go nine innings. Uh, yeah, sometimes I wonder why I root for this team because it's just abysmal. Uh, <laughs> Anyways, Ryan was cooking today with just his fastball and splitter. The pitch separation between the two was an absolute masterpiece. Fastballs up, splitters down. The fastballs were just incredibly unhittable. He actually finished out the last inning against the one, two, three hitters for the Red Sox with 14 fastballs and one splitter. They just basically had no shot against it despite seeing it the entire day. Um, and yeah, just a great start from Joe Ryan. Just a quick shout out here, Blake Snell. Obviously, we talked about him earlier in the pod, but he um, going up against the Giants today. Six innings with three hits, but eleven strikeouts. So uh, just another another shutout. You know, six shutout inning performance from Blake Snell. Oh, um, it's you know at this point it's it's pretty normal. We get it. You're good at baseball, Blake Snell. I would have liked to see the four seamer grouped a bit higher in the zone. If I want to gripe about one thing. It was kind of a bit too low, and I guess the Giants hitters weren't really able to take advantage of it as he wasn't able to complete the Blake Snell blueprint. But at this point, you can't argue that this man is having a comeback for the ages. The guy I really want to talk about is Bryce Elder, though, of Atlanta. Um, he was pitching against Philly today in the no decision. 
Uh, pitched for seven innings with three hits, two walks, and six strikeouts. I don't think we've really given enough credit to Bryce Elder this season. Um, he was kind of a sneaky stream pick at the beginning of the season because he had a couple good starts, and then he's kind of hung on and stayed in that Atlanta rotation. He's turned in a respectable 5-1 record with a 2.6 ERA, which is good for 10th of the majors, and a 1.14 whip. He's also helped a lot by a 58.6% ground ball rate with a slider that he throws 37% of the time as well that gets a decent amount of whiffs. He has helped a lot by a 58.6 ground ball rate. Uh, most of that's coming from his sinker that he throws 37% of the time. And he's also coupling that with a slider that has a really good whiff rate. Honestly, it's kind of shades of 2021 Logan Webb, who I know both you and I were kind of big on and we're hoping for you know a big, big season in the next one, and it didn't really come. Uh, but he was elite in that 2021 season, mainly because he had an astronomically high ground ball rate that was helped up by a sinker and a, a really good slider that was getting whips. Um, so even though Bryce Elder isn't churning out elite starts here and there, you know, seven. It's, this, is, this is probably one of his better starts of this season. I think it's good enough to continue believing in as the season goes on. And then finally, just a quick shout out to Braxton Garrett because we recommended him as a streamer a couple of weeks ago. We told him, you know, he should be rostered essentially. Don't stream him. Uh, yeah, he just went seven innings with one earned run and 13 strikeouts against the Pirates. So, um, yeah, hopefully you uh, hopefully you kept him on your team if you picked him up because uh, Braxton Garrett is hitting his stride at the right time. Yeah, so the guys you highlighted here, Ryan, Snell, and Elder, it's crazy to think that all these guys had zero earned runs in their starts yeah. on Thursday. So pretty dominant pitching day across the board. Even Aaron Nola had a zero earned run start, which was his first of the season on Thursday, which is awesome to see. And that was against the Braves, which is a team that usually crushes him. I mean, I think Riley has like six homers off of him and Acuna has four. So really cool to see that he's come around. So just a great pitching day. Maybe this is the mark of pitching's turnaround where pitching goes from really scary to reliable. <laughs> so hopefully that's a little bit of a flag in the ground right there. But yeah, Bryce Elder He's been really good this season, and I feel like there's always one Braves pitcher every season that does well. Last year was Kyle Wright. Mm -hmm. This time it's Bryce Elder, so you have to keep riding him out. I believe he's probably rostered in over 90% of leagues now because For sure. yeah. he, he was picked up early in the season. He started off really hot really early, so he's probably rostered, and there's nothing really actionable there. You're just going to keep throwing him out there because he's been so good. So trust the process on him with the Braves, and he's been everything you could ever ask for from someone that you plucked off of the wire. Blake Snell already gave my thoughts about him. He's just been so good, and second half Snell is in effect. And then Joe Ryan has been one of the best pitchers in baseball all season. He went through a little bit of a tough stretch just before where it wasn't even really that bad. He just wasn't pitching as good as this, obviously. So mm -hmm. it's really good to see. I mean, it's awesome to see a breakout pitcher like Joe Ryan just continue to do well because he is so nasty. It's so cool to see his fastball just be completely unhittable. And then Braxton Garrett, yeah, I told you all, just roster him. It's frustrating that he doesn't go five or six innings a lot because for some reason they just manage his workload like a child. But, I mean, seven innings, 13 Ks against the Pirates, what more could you ask for? <laughs> yeah, I was I was looking at starts because I was trying to figure out, oh, who do we want to highlight on Thursday? And so I'd already picked out Joe Ryan and Blake Snell. And then um, Braxton Garrett's on my fantasy team, right? And I'm just checking that that stat, and I'm like, wait a second. In our in our league, we do K per nine, right? So I, right. Don't, I don't even really know strikeout numbers, but it's like he's pitched six two point two innings, and he has like a seventeen K per nine. I have to check this out, and so yeah, yeah, I just looked it up, and yeah, he is uh, having a start for the ages. So good for him. Yeah, the quick little refresh in fantasy and seeing, whoa, who did that? It's one of the best yeah. feelings ever. You're like, whoa, this is awesome. 
Yeah, and also speak of the devil, uh, Henry Davids just hit a homer in the uh, the Pirates Miami game. So wow, first guys, one, pick him up. You that a catcher with home run ability? Those do not come by that that often. So jump on that if if you need help in that department. Yeah, congratulations to Henry Davis on hitting his first major league home run on Thursday. But now we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be joined by pitcherless writer Michael Barker to talk about his article. Bryce for Impact, assessing the early career of Bryce Miller. Stay tuned. We are back and joined by pitcherless writer Michael Barker. Michael, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How about you guys? We're doing pretty good. Can't complain. Can't complain. Baseball's been exciting. Awesome. Yep. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun to watch so far. Yeah, both John and I's teams are not doing great, but hey, you know, at least baseball in itself is very fun. But before we get into the interview about your article, Bryce for Impact, Assessing the Early Career of Bryce Miller, tell us a little bit about yourself, like what you do for Pitcher List, how long you've been playing Fantasy for, or what team you're a fan of. Right. So uh, I've been writing for Pitcher List since last December. So coming up on about six months or so, I've written probably five, six, seven articles, somewhere in that range. Uh, I've mostly done going deep pieces, either on... Uh, you know, collections of pitchers or individual players that are interesting for one reason or another. I just really like talking about pitching. So uh, that's kind of been what I've been doing for the last six months. Um, generally for baseball, I've been playing fantasy for the last couple of years. I think 2021 season was the first year that I kind of started getting into it. So relatively new. Um, and I am a fan of the Rays, uh, kind of my hometown team. I grew up uh, sort of around that area, not exactly in the Tampa St. Pete area, but close enough. So, yeah. Lucky dog gets to root for the <laughs> Rays, come on this podcast with a Twins and a Mets fan, and has his team be all <laughs> successful as we are miserable. Hey, that's that's a first-place team I'm hearing, the Twins. That's yes. true. First that's place. you need is 500 baseball in the AL Central, and that will, uh, will do it. Yep. Okay, so I'm the only one that could complain. I get it. Okay, cool. As the Mets fan here... I'm the one that's miserable and sitting in the corner. That's fine. That's yeah, fine. I guess. Yeah. And I'm yeah. I'm shocked, Michael, that you're a pitching fan that writes for pitcher list. You would have never thought. I mean, that's yeah, pretty I mean, wild. That's something about that doesn't really line up. You know? No, yeah, it just doesn't check out. The math's not mathing here. But <laughs> let's move on to your article about Bryce Miller. Bryce Miller's calling card is his fastball, a pitch that he throws on average 70% of the time. What makes it so good and so unhittable that he can throw it that often and not get shelled? Yeah, so I think kind of the the trend for these young starting pitchers that are coming up and, and a lot of the older guys too is to just kind of really emphasize this like super high riding forcing fastball with just like a ton of induced vertical break. Um, we're seeing more guys throw fastballs with like over 18 inches of, of IVB at this point than we've ever seen really at any point probably in major league history it's just kind of like a feature guys that you've never even heard of are coming up throwing insane <laughs> fastballs and he's he's one of them he's got this great fastball i think it averages just about 19 inches of ivb through his first like few starts i want to say it was really a special pitch in his first few starts and i think he's kind of settling in now to more what it's what it's going to be but yeah he he throws it really true really hard just like a rocket through the zone it's got those 19 inches of, of vertical break and only like three inches of arm side run. So it's like a really, really online fastball that just rides right through the zone. He gets a ton of whiffs on it and uh, he's pretty aggressive with it around the zone in and around the zone. It's got like a, 
like a 23% chase rate, 45% shadow rate. He kind of really just throws it around the zone and, and it rides so much that he just gets whiffs under it and he throws it 70% of the time. So honestly, it kind of just, it just overwhelms guys. What can I say? It's, it's what a lot of these young pitchers are doing. Your, your Mason Millers, your Taj Bradleys, they're just throwing fastballs in the zone and guys aren't hitting it. And Bryce Miller's fastball is, is pretty special characteristically. Yeah. We mentioned on the show, I believe in his third start or so, we noticed that his fastball percentage of use was just through the roof. And Mm -hmm. we looked into it and realized that there was an interview that he did and they were like, oh, you're not really using your breaking stuff. He's like, why would I need to when the fastball is working this well? Like when they start catching up to the fastball, then I'll start throwing my other stuff. But until then, I don't need to do anything. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and it's like, it's a valid approach, especially considering I think the first few starts of his career were against pretty weak teams. Like I want to say it was the A's twice in his first three starts. So what I mean, what's the what's the logic in changing from that approach if he has such a good fastball? It was like I want to say it was like ninety percent fastball usage over his first three starts. So just yeah, he's it's a good fastball. He's throwing it a ton. It makes sense. Yeah, and just to have the gall of knowing that you're doing that on purpose is such a good thing because that's promising knowing that hey, he can adjust when he needs to. Right. Well, we're going to talk about his other pitches because if we just talked about his fastball, as fascinating as that would be, I think this would be a fairly short interview. (laughs) Um, So we're going to talk about his changeup, which you mentioned briefly. It's only a pitch he uses about 5% of the time. Um, But is this something that, you know, let's just say people start, you know, understanding the fastball a little bit better. Is this something that could grow into an effective pitch for him or should you just stop using it altogether? Yeah, I th- I kind of want to preface what I'm going to say about all of his breaking stuff with like he barely has thrown any even yeah. through like <laughs> big league starts. Yep. So it's like kind of don't have a huge data sample to draw like really confident definitive conclusions on. Right. Um, but I like what I've seen from his fastball just or his uh, changeup just characteristically. It's got a good movement profile as, as far as I can see. It's got uh only it's got like nine inches of ride with about 16 and a half inches of arm side break that's that's right about what you'd want for a good right-handed fastball he kills that that vertical drop on it really well and gets a lot of arm side tail uh he throws it a little bit harder than average but not anything super crazy and i think there are a lot of guys who have a change up uh with this kind of profile this movement profile and this velocity that that work really well it's pretty similar to the one I think Spencer Strider has started throwing this year. So yeah, he's, it's, it's a good pitch. I, I think he should, should consider throwing it more against lefties specifically. That's kind of the only group of hitters he's thrown it to, to this point, he's thrown like two changeups to righties the whole year. But um, yeah, I, I think it's a pitch that definitely has potential. I just think he needs to kind of throw it more and be a little bit more confident with it. Yeah. It's so strange because Obviously, he's a fastball dominant pitcher, and he's really trying to work on his secondaries that need to catch up. And that's really what's Mm -hmm. happening in baseball in total, right? Like all these rookie pitchers have pretty live fastballs that are really good, but the secondaries are the ones that need work. And we're even seeing it with guys who already have success in the majors like Logan Gilbert and George Kirby and stuff like that, where we're waiting for them to just hone in on those secondaries and be elite with it. So it's interesting to see that his changeup needs to grow and could be great but he just needs to throw it more. And speaking of the changeup, Miller has two breaking balls in his arsenal, which you describe as a gyro slider and a sweeper. What's the difference mm. between the two, and can they be successful pitches for Miller going forward? 
Yeah, so they're they're pretty interesting. Miller is kind of um I kind of have a sense that he's doing a little bit of a Taj Bradley thing here where he has this he has a sweeper and it's it's like definitely a sweeper. It's got a distinct movement profile, but he has this gyro slider slash cutter. It's like a little grouping on his movement profile of of pitches that I want to say he kind of just manipulates the shape on it a little bit, depending on whether he wants to add a bit more ride or get a bit more uh, glove side cut to it. It just, he kind of manipulates it within this general movement profile range. It usually sits like 85 to 87 with two to four inches of, of, uh, of glove side break. Um, generally just based on early results and it is a small sample again. So take it with a grain of salt, but when he throws it kind of harder and gets more right on it, it kind of gets crushed. So you might just want to ease off of that more cutter cutter like profile and, and kind of just turn it into this true, really tight gyro slider with around four inches of, uh, of actual break. And then he does have that, that sweeper that sits, you know, 82 gets like 16 inches of glove side sweep. It's, it's there for him when he needs it. And, you know, the Mariners, they love their, they love their sweepers, especially for their relievers. But <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, I think it's a mix that could definitely work for him. There are a lot of guys that throw both varieties of sweepers uh, of sliders, more tighter gyro ones and those big sweepy ones. And it kind of gives them a weapon against righties and lefties. Cause I think lefties at this point are starting to learn how to, how to handle the sweeper a little bit. So um, yeah, I, th I think it's a mix that he could definitely work with long-term. Yeah, that's, I mean, those, those are definitely things that, you know, I think emphasizing long-term as well, because uh, Miller is a rookie, right? And so mm -hmm. there's still a lot of development that can be done in his profile. Um, and so in your opinion, you know, as, you know, seeing the few starts that Miller has had this season, what does he need to do to kind of take that next step and become a more reliable pitcher? And ultimately, what do you see as his ceiling? Right, so... I think the kind of obvious elephant in the room with him is just like figure out the secondaries a little bit. Cause I mm -hmm. think what we saw in those starts against, uh, I believe it was the Rangers and the Yankees, those two starts where he just got blown up back to back. He just got backed into these situations where I, I feel like those opposing lineups, they just knew that he didn't have confidence to throw his, uh, his secondary stuff in the zone or around the zone enough to really, you know, execute consistently. So he was just forced into these fastball situations He's been throwing his fastball like over 70% of the time in two strike counts, which would be like the easy record for the highest percentage of fastball usage in two strike counts uh, in the StatCast era. So um, that kind of just indicates to me like he just doesn't have any conf confidence in either his changeup or his breaking balls mm -hmm. to execute them and get those like put away, put away pitches squared away. Um, so that's the main thing I think is finding finding some more confidence in his secondaries. And I think that'll kind of also help him work through orders, work through opposing lineups a bit more consistently second and second and third times through. Um, Cause he, he dominates when he, when he goes first time through like a lot of these high end pitchers do, but second time it gets a little dicey and then he kind of gets crushed third time through the order. And I think that's just because with these super fastball reliant guys, they just, they see the fastball once or twice it's really overpowering the first time through and then they're big league hitters, they're skilled, they can adjust to it mm -hmm. and they'll get on top of it as it, as he kind of goes later in the game. So um, yeah, I would, I would say figuring out, figuring out that breaking ball shape, what kind of mix of breaking balls you want to have, whether it's that tight gyro slider or 
you know, a harder cutter and the sweeper, or whether you just want to ditch one of those altogether. Um, and then probably throwing that change up more against lefties. I think just working on those secondaries and being able to work deeper into games is, uh, is probably priority number one for him long-term. Yeah. yeah. I, I know a, a pitcher you mentioned briefly in your article, Joe Ryan, who obviously I know a bit about being a twins fan. Um, and we, we talked about his start earlier in this podcast, um, before you came on, but he just finished up a complete game shutout against mm-hmm. Boston and basically relied, I think it was like 75% uh, fastball, 25% splitter, uh, completely ignoring his slider. And he had some really good pitch separation, um, you know, was able to kind of fool guys a little bit with the splitter. But ultimately, like that fastball was so good that he was still able to use it like deep into the ninth inning. Um, right. against you know the the top of the lineup for Boston and it was it was deceptive enough that it worked out and there's there's things here with Bryce Miller where it's like yeah like the secondaries are he needs to develop them so he's not just you know throwing only fastballs but that fastball will always be his best pitch and how he utilizes that is probably going to yeah impact um what what he ends up becoming as a as a major league pitcher yeah and I would much rather have a Bryce Miller than, you know, a guy whose best pitch is one of his breaking balls because mm-hmm. I just think generally guys with these really overpowering fastballs that they can pretty confidently throw around the zone and get decent results with have kind of a, just a much stronger foundation and probably more potential to turn into that ace that you want them to be down the line because I think it's it's probably easier to, you know, kind of figure out a good shape for your breaking stuff, figure out a good uh, mix for your secondaries to complement a really good fastball than it is to have good feel for secondaries, but then just not have that ability to really spin that fastball and get it, get it by guys bats in the zone. That's kind of more of a, you either have it or you don't kind of thing. So Hmm. I'll tend to always bet on guys like Miller who have that really insanely good fastball and just kind of need to figure out the secondary mix. So I, I think he has a bright future. I just think it's it's some fine-tuning from here. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, for sure. I mean, pitching has been pain this season, it feels like. Everyone's been up and down. Nothing's been consistent. Right. And the thing we've seen a lot this season is rookie pitchers coming. And there's been a lot of debate on, would you rather this rookie pitcher or this rookie pitcher drop this guy for this guy? So we're going to get into our favorite segment when we interview someone with an article about a specific player. And for this one, we have obviously Bryce Miller, and we're going to compare him to other rookie pitchers. So we're going to take this in the context of 12-team leagues, head-to-head, and it's just this season. Standard 5x5, head-to-head, for the rest of the season. Not for the long term, not for dynasty. So anyone who comes at our head for picking someone over someone else in a dynasty context, that's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about for this season. So would you rather... Bryce Miller or Bobby Miller for the rest of the season. We'll start with you, Michael. Oh man. I think with these rookie pitchers, so much of what, of who you prefer between two comes down to how you think the organizations are going to handle their workloads. hundred percent. Rest of season, obviously it's just, you want volume. That's kind of one of the main things and you want upside too, but uh, it's kind of safer to assume that this is the guy you're getting for the rest of the season. And, um, you know, Bryce Miller, his career high in innings throughout the entire professional career is uh, about 120 innings last year, and he's at about 70 this year. So, you know, I think the Mariners have shown a willingness to kind of push him, to push their rookie starters a little bit. You know, the Logan Gilbert in 2021, George Kirby last year, they've had these 
they've had these good right-handed starters kind of come through and accumulate a, a large number of innings in their rookie season. Um, but I do kind of think that Bobby Miller is a, a little bit more of a refined pitching prospect at this point. He's got a little bit more electric stuff all around. He's got that good fastball, and I think he has a better idea of the secondaries. And he's not really in a situation where the Dodgers are worrying right now about an innings limit for him. He's still probably 60, 70 innings away from his career high watermark. So I think I'd probably take Bobby Miller for this season. Okay. John, what about you? Uh, yeah, I unfortunately, I don't really have that much knowledge about Bobby Miller. But to me, he kind of came onto the scene a little bit more recently than Bryce. And I think we've been more familiar with Bryce's fastball and his stuff. But right. um, you, you can't really ignore what Bobby Miller's been doing. Um, yes, he did have just kind of a blow up against the Giants. But other than that, like he's looked really, really solid. Um, has good numbers in terms of, you know, strikeout numbers and with rates um this almost feels like a coin flip to me and i think i guess i'd probably go with bobby miller only Mm -hmm. because i think that maybe there's there's more win potential with the dodgers of course not saying that seattle's a bad team but um i think there's more with with um with the dodgers and uh i can't argue with the with um I guess Bobby Miller's ability to to limit runs and and his low whip as well for now. So right. um, I'd say I go with Bobby Miller, uh, even though it's kind of a small sample size and I don't know how much to trust it. But it, it seems like he's he's uh, he's got at least like three pitches I think that all work really well together, and I think that's going to be really helpful as a rookie. John said it best. This is a coin flip, and for me, this can change on any given week. And I think I just boil it down to that I like Bobby Miller's overall stuff a little bit better. So I'm going to lean Bobby Miller, but I wouldn't fault you for going either of these. These ones are so even. Like, I think for the rest of the season, just full transparency here with the rest of the list, I think these two guys are probably the most important pitching prospects that you can roster for this season because I think their workloads are going to be fine. I think you're going to be able to use them for the rest of the season. They're both on good teams. They're going to get you wins. They're not going to be held back too much. So I really think both the Miller guys are the go-tos for the pitching prospects. So give me Bobby in this scenario because I think I might lean a certain way for the rest of them. But for the next one, we have Bryce Miller or Yuri Perez. Michael, what do you think about this one? Oh, this is one where it would change a hundred percent if it was in format, like depending on the format, right? Like if right. this was a dynasty or a keeper league, I'm like, I'm Yuri Perez a hundred percent of the time, just cause he's probably one of the most live arms that's in the entire sport right now, regardless of level, regardless of age. I think he's just, he has that like top five starting pitcher upside. Whereas I think uh, Bryce is probably going to settle in as like a solid number two, number three kind of guy. Um, but for the rest of the season, I would be really concerned about how many more innings uh, Yuri is going to pitch this year because his career high is like, it's only about 80 innings last year as a professional. And he's already at 70 something between triple, uh, between double A and, and the majors this year. So, I mean, any minute now the Marlins could start taking him out in like the third inning and maybe sending him to the bullpen for shorter outings. I, I really think the innings management is going to come into play for Yuri Perez pretty heavily. Uh, more than a lot of a lot of these pitching prospects. So I think I'd probably take Bryce Miller for the rest of this season because I think that volume is a lot safer. But uh, yeah, you can't deny Yuri's uh, kind of raw talent. 
Yep, John, what say you? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you, Michael. Like to me, Yuri Perez's situation in the rotation could change as soon as the Marlins think that Trevor Rogers is healthy enough to pitch again. And right. um, once that happens, it's like, all right, we'll we'll just send uh we'll just send you back to AAA or shut you down for the season. Um, to me, yeah, to me, if this was a dynasty question, yeah, no question, Yuri Perez, he's on my dynasty team. I I love him for that. Uh, but I do think that the Marlins will, you know, as as soon as they think that he's hit his workload for the for the year, um, even if you know they're in a good spot and and Perez is a winning ball player that that can contribute to you know their their team really well. Um, to me, it just seems like a no brainer that they'll they'll shut him down just just to you know prevent future injury and things like that too. Like it, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily a bad thing that they're choosing to shut him down. Um, his volume has never been this high. He's only 20 years old, but um, I think for me that that's what puts Bryce over the top is knowing that he's going to get more innings than Perez, even if the innings aren't as of a high quality. Right. Yeah, I don't have much to add on this one. If this was a dynasty context, Yuri Perez to me is the pitching prospect or pitching rookie that you want the most out of any of these lists over Grayson Rodriguez, over Gavin Williams, Bryce Miller, Bobby Miller, Todd, all these guys. Yuri Perez is number one, but for this season specifically, 100% gave me Bryce Miller because Yuri Perez, he could stop being a starter as of next week. We just don't know. So I take Bryce Miller in this one every single time, but Yuri Perez, the sky is the limit. This guy is incredible and he's going to be amazing. But for this year, give me Bryce Miller. Next, we have Bryce Miller or Taj Bradley. Michael, what about this tough one? This is probably the biggest coin flip uh, among all starting pitching prospects comparisons that you could possibly make for me <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm a raised guy. I'm a huge Todd Bradley guy. I've been following him since he was in like rookie ball. I've been super high on him. It's awesome to see him finally up really producing well. He's coming off of a really, really probably career best outing against the Orioles, uh, pretty tough offense. So I- I'm super high on him. And I think um, to a large extent for, for fantasy circles, it's kind of going to be for Taj Bradley, the same concern with, uh, with Yuri. I mean, the Rays are going to be, it'd be, it'd be hard to not be a postseason team for them right now. So it's kind of comes into consideration like, all right, maybe we'll really heavily manage Taj's innings for the rest of the year. Cause we want some of those bullets in the playoffs. Um, and I think, you know, if I had to bet, I'd, I'd say that Bryce Miller is probably going to get the higher volume of innings for the rest of the year. Um, I think the quality of the innings would be pretty comparable between the two. I think long term, trying to put my bias aside, I still like Taj a little bit more because I think he has a better idea of where those secondaries are going. He's a really good at manipulating the shape of that breaking ball. Um, and you can't really argue with the Rays pitching development. So, um I think in the long term, I'd probably take Taj Bradley. But for this year, honestly, it's such a coin toss. I might take Bryce because I think those innings are going to be a lot more stable. And the Rays constantly have guys that are good enough to fill rotation spots. So they could decide at any moment, like, hey, let's give Luis Patino five starts or Yanni Chirinos or Josh Fleming if he comes back, you know, so. Yeah. Okay, John, what about this one? I think this one is a lot on league context as well. Um Obviously, we're doing standard five by five, so you know wins are kind of a thing that you're looking at. Um, Todd is going to probably get more wins, even if he's pitching less innings. Just 
as a function of being on the Rays. Um, I mean, that being said, they they believe they both have five wins on the season. So, you know, whatever that it, it might be a meaningless meaningless uh, comparison between the two. I do like Taj's makeup in just being a more a more well-rounded arsenal, um, but I I do think at the end of the day I think I go with Bryce because he is just pitching more innings in general, um, and assuming he gets that that run from Seattle and and they're more willing to let him go deeper into games and you know Rays being the Rays preserve Bradley a little bit more. Um, that probably makes me lean Bryce a little bit uh, just because uh, the other thing too also is actually the, the limiting of walks I think is, is kind of huge for a rookie pitcher like that, uh, you know, that, that can lead to a lot of issues uh, from time to time and, and seeing that he's able to do that on a pretty elite level compared to Taj, um, I think makes me think he can at least go deeper into games and, and get those wins without sacrificing as many, as many pitches. Yeah, this one is so hard for me, and I want to pick Taj Bradley so bad because I, too, am a huge Taj Bradley fan. I just can't. If someone offered me Bryce Miller right now for my Taj Bradley, I would take it in an instant. So for that reason, I have to go with Bryce Miller for this season because Taj Bradley, you just don't know if his control is going to be in check and if he's going to go five innings or six innings or if he can even go like seven innings at any point with his pitch count and... I don't know, just for the workload specifically, give me Bryce Miller because the Mariners clearly have no kitty gloves on him. And Taj Bradley, like Michael mentioned, could be replaced by Luis Patino or Yanni Torino. So, yeah, I think I just have to go Bryce Miller, although I think I like Taj Bradley overall better as a pitching prospect. So I would rather Taj Bradley in long term. But for this year, Bryce Miller. And last but not least, we have Bryce Miller or Tanner Bybee of the Guardians. Michael, for the last one, which side are you on? This one's cool because it kind of gives you a little bit of a juxtaposition between uh, the really heavy stuff guy and the really heavy kind of like polish guy. I think uh, Bybee is one of those pitching prospects that kind of stands out because he he has good stuff, but he's not one of these like, I'm going to overpower you with everything in the zone. He's like way more refined, way more polished, pretty good command of a four-pitch mix, kind of more like a you know, your typical Guardians pitching prospect, not like <laughs> incredible overpowering stuff, but he just has a good feel for pitching. He knows what he's doing out there. And I think that gives him probably the most stable floor out of any pitching prospect that's currently up right now, I want to say. Um, so it kind of comes down to your preference, honestly. If you want to shoot for upside, I think I'd definitely go with Bryce Miller. I think the stuff has the potential to be uh, a lot more impactful for him this season, but... I think um, with Bybee, he's kind of seems like he has a pretty stable rotation spot and he, you know, I, I have him on a lot of my fantasy teams and he hasn't been really spectacular, but he's been pretty stable. And if you just kind of need some, some stability in your rotation, I, I think he is one of the better pitchers you could have on your team right now, considering he also has a decent amount of upside. So uh, it's tough for the rest of the season. Considering the way I like to play fantasy, I just like to haphazardly shoot for upside as much as I can. So I'd probably go Bryce Miller. Um, but I, I can't really argue with Tanner Bybee either. I think he's he has a really stable floor that's that's going to be really valuable. Yeah. John, what side of the fence are you on for this one? Um, Yeah, this one's tough too because 
Bybee, I think, actually has been performing a little poorly in the last yeah. few starts. Um, right. And so it's, I think, like, if I'm going, you know, complete recency bias, which, you know, we all love to do, I think I end up going with um, with uh, Bobby a bit more. Um, or sorry, not Bobby, Bryce a bit more. Um, but at the same time, if you're looking for a guy who will basically pitch the entire season and you need that kind of guy for your rotation, then I think you go with, with Bobby because... It feels like he'll be here all season. With with Bryce, we don't know. Like maybe maybe Seattle shuts him down in August or something like that. Um, but I do think the quality of inning is probably a little bit better coming from Bryce, and so I think for that reason, I'll stick with him. Yeah. So I'm going to go Bryce as well. I am not as confident that Bybee's rotation spot is fully there. I think it's going to be a battle between him, Logan Allen, and Gavin Williams now that they're all up with who gets to keep their spot when Cal Quantrill returns and if Tristan McKenzie returns. So I'm not quite sure that Bybee's going to be solidified there. Like, they have given him some run. He's been all right, but as of recent, he hasn't been that great. So... If they feel more confident in Logan Allen's stability or Gavin Williams' upside if he starts catching fire and pitching great, he could be the odd man out. So there's a lot of question marks with the Guardians rotation because they have so many good prospects and good pitchers that they're going to have to limit it. They could go six-man rotation, but I don't feel like they do that when they have three young arms that they can preserve some. So not really sure on that. I love Tanner Bybee as a pitcher, but for this, for the rest of the season, I'll take Bryce Miller. I just think better results, better quality of innings, better team context, more wins, I think. So, yeah, I will go Bryce Miller on this one, which is one of the reasons why I took Bobby Miller in the first one, because I knew I was going to take Bryce for the other three. So that is our opinion on who would you rather Bryce Miller or another pitcher. But that wraps up the interview with Michael Barker about his article, Bryce for Impact, assessing the early career of Bryce Miller. Michael, thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything that you'd like to plug, an article coming out, social media, anything like that? Tell the people about it. Uh, yeah, you can follow me on my uh, Twitter, uh, RecRabMB. It's just my last name backwards with MB at the end. Um, I post a lot about there, mostly about the Rays, but I'll post some general stuff too. Um, I am constantly kind of brainstorming new ideas for articles and i i write going deep articles usually once or twice a month so i'll be working on something pretty soon here um but other than that yeah it's it's been fun guys awesome thank you so much for your time again michael thank you now let's get into streamers first we'll start with the pitching streamers for the next week john who do we have this time uh we have a repeat here garrett whitlock of the Red Sox, um, 42% roster in Yahoo, 17% roster in ESPN. So yes, he still technically counts as a streamer. I'll keep being in the drum for Whitlock even after he gave up four runs to the Twins in his last start. He gets a great first matchup in Miami, and then he's followed by Toronto, who haven't looked too scary this season. They're obviously very scary still because you know Vlad could just go off and decide, oh, that's right, I'm one of the better hitters in in, in baseball, and you know hit three home runs in a game or something like that. But Whitlock, I think, is has been really hitting his stride the past couple starts. Um, the season-long stats don't look great, but he has an incredibly low walk rate. He's got a great CSW. And if you really looked on his start against the Twins, it was kind of the defense's fault that prevented him from having a better outing there, or else he probably would have walked away with at least a quality start. So um, Whitlock, one of those guys, I think, that needs to be rostered. And, you know, 42% of leagues on Yahoo at least have him, so... 
it's definitely not a situation where he's going to be available in all your leagues, but um, check out Garrett Whitlock if you need pitching help. Hogan Harris of Oakland is currently available because he's only 5% rostered on Yahoo, 2% rostered on ESPN. For good reason, he's not that great of a pitcher. But he does have decent strikeout potential. He does a good job at limiting hits, which should help against the White Sox this coming Friday. Your opinion might change, of course, uh, considering that when this podcast comes out, he is going to start against Toronto the same day. But he does have a pretty cush uh, set of matches beyond this just this White Sox game. The schedule, I think, looks pretty solid for Oakland, which is, I mean, it's funny to say because Oakland's terrible, but, you know, even they can have some good matchups as well. So check out Horgan Harris. And then a couple Guardians pitchers. We talked about these guys a little bit just on this pod as well as other pods. Uh, but Gavin Williams and Logan Allen Monday and Tuesday are going to go up against Kansas City. Gavin Williams is a little bit more rostered, 45% on Yahoo, 13% ESPN. Logan Allen, 32% roster, and Yahoo, 12% on ESPN. Both of them probably are available. Uh, Allen struggled. We we were kind of high on him a little bit earlier this season because, you know, the he had a high floor. Uh, but he's he definitely hasn't done too much. And on Thursday when we were recording, he actually got pulled from his start in the fourth inning because Tara Francona was like, oh, he's throwing 89 pitches. We're not going to keep him in any longer. Um, just wasn't really a good game for Allen. Um but nothing cures your wounds like facing a terrible team like Kansas City. Um, and so it looks like a good opportunity for them to showcase their potential, come out with a win, um, and, yeah, just uh, show why they have that really good prospect pedigree. Yeah, so once again, roster Garrett Whitlock. If he's out there, please pick him up and just hold on to him. His start, the four earned runs should not scare you away because his start was way better than what the line shows. As John said, his defense let him down a lot. And his stuff is just nasty. He looks so good right now that you have to roster him, especially with his matchups coming up. So definitely roster Garrett Whitlock. It's not just a stream one and done situation like a Hogan Harris is. It's a stream and hold on because Garrett Whitlock looks incredible. Hogan Harris, he's a good pitcher and he has a good matchup. And that's pretty much it about Hogan Harris. I really can't say much more. It's a great streaming recommendation, but it's not someone that you would want to roster. And then Gavin Williams and Logan Allen, Obviously, against the Royals, stream anybody. But, yeah, I really think that Gavin Williams' second timeout, he will be much better than he was in his first timeout. And I also think you should just roster Gavin Williams. I was saying that about Logan Allen before. It makes more sense that you don't, especially with not knowing if Allen or Bybee or Gavin Williams will be in the rotation long term. The Guardians have given both of these guys a few shots, Bybee and Allen, that is. And I think that one of them might get sent down based on how Williams does in the majors when Cal Quantrill comes back and if Tristan McKenzie comes back. So not really sure what the situation will be, but Logan Allen is more of a streamer type with his limited upside and Gavin Williams has infinite upside. So I would roster Gavin Williams and stream Logan Allen. If you have to choose between the two, I would go Gavin Williams. So if I had to rank these streams, I would go Whitlock one, just roster him. Gavin Williams two, just roster him. Logan Allen, use him for this start. It'll be good. And then Hogan Harris, use him for this start and then cut bait. But those are the pitching streamers that we have recommended for you. And I will recommend one bat for next week. And that is Tommy Pham of the Mets. He is 10% rostered on Yahoo currently, and he should be rostered in a lot more leagues, especially for next week where the Mets play seven games all at home against the Brewers and the Giants, which don't have the best of pitching staffs at the moment. They're decent, but not the best in the league. 
Pham currently has a 260, 335, 486 slash line with 7 home runs, 28 RBI, 18 runs, and 8 stolen bases. Even better than all of that, his StatCast numbers are borderline ridiculous. If you look at his Baseball Savant page right now, you would think that it's Mike Trout's. He's 90th percentile or better in literally everything. Pham is playing every day for the Mets right now and should be playing every day for your fantasy teams. He's probably not as viable in leagues that are... 10 teams or shallower, you'll definitely want him in those 12 team leagues or deeper, and definitely in those five outfield leagues. But even in a 10 teamer, I'd recommend riding out Fam while he's hot because he has put up good numbers in the past. When he played for the Cardinals, he had some good years. When he played for the Rays, he had a phenomenal year in 2019. He had 21 homers and 25 steals with a 270 average. And I think we could see that exact line again if he gets to that like 145 games played mark like he did in 2019. So this might be the start of something special with Tommy Pham. I know his big bugaboo was that his vision is bad and his contacts were bad, but he's gotten that adjusted and he could see great right now. And you can clearly tell because he is ripping the cover off the ball. If he's out there in your leagues, which he should be, he's only 10% rostered on Yahoo, which is one of the more prominent places to play fantasy. I think you need to pick up Tommy Pham for next week specifically, but you might be holding on to him all year if he can live up to his potential and gets everyday playing time. Yeah, just make sure that um, you don't mess with him in a fantasy football league. Yeah, don't change the rules in your league midseason because Tommy Pham will probably punch you. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, if he's hot, he's hot. Um, I for sure will see if I can get him um, in these five outfield leagues because uh, for a lot of times the guys that's your, your outfielder five is just a dude that's hot. Like, that's kind of it. Right. So um, if you can get, you know, just good stats for a guy who's going to play every single day for the next week, I think that's huge in weekly leagues, being able to, to find that. Um, and so, yeah, definitely, um, definitely uh, pick up fam if you if you have the opening and you need a, if you need a hot bat. Yeah, I will say I kind of called this in TGFBI because when I drafted Starling Marte, I said I'm going to grab Tommy Pham towards the end of the draft because I think if Marte ever gets hurt, Fam will come in and be good. And I'm kind of kicking myself now because in the first week or so, I had to let go of Fam due to a lot of injuries on my team in TGFBI. There's no IL in that league. And I had to cut Tommy Fam, and that kind of is killing me right now because I think someone rosters him, and that's not good for me. So, yeah, Tommy Fam is looking really good. Once again, check out his baseball savant page. Look at what he's doing. I watch every single Mets game. And he looks phenomenal. So take it from a Mets fan. Take it from a fantasy player who plays it very seriously. Tommy Pham is a great pickup right now. Get him now. Enjoy the hot streak. But that's all for this episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Before we go, please make sure you follow us on Twitter at ThisWeekPL or send us your comments and questions at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. You can find John on Twitter at TheJohnKe. That's T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E. And you can follow myself on Twitter at Regicidal, that's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Pitcher List podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts on. And please leave us a five-star review if you enjoy the show. Lastly, sign up for Pitcher List Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the Pitcher List Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that is all for this week. We will be back next week with another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. For John, I'm Lee, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone.